Welcome, everybody, to Remember That Guy. Uh, I'm James. I got Justin Diaz here with me, and uh, we have our good friend Xavier joining us today to talk about talk about some guys. Um, before we get to the guys, Diaz, how are you doing? Do you have anyone, uh, we, before we remember, do you have anyone making memories for you right now? So uh, making memories for me currently is uh, Amanda Stavely, uh, with the help of the, the Public Investment Fund, PIF. Uh, buying Newcastle, uh, my favorite soccer yes. team. I did see you tweeting um, about this yesterday. Yes. So, you know, we, we can uh, we can get into all the uh, the Saudi Arabia issues at another time. But what it does immediately mean for the football team is that we have ownership that will like invest in the club, which is uh, incredible to see. It was great to see the scenes in Newcastle yesterday. Uh, fans gathering outside the stadium. So, okay. was I guess the, one of the few times I've experienced FOMO in my life was not <laughs> being not being able to be there for that. So, uh, very excited for all my friends across the pond. Jordy's Toon Army, up the mags. Let's go. That is, I'm glad to hear that because the one the one concern I have with that is is the very like provincial feel of of uh, English football a lot of the time. So I, I as long as long as the fans are happy, honestly, like cool. I, I yes, again, the money is bad. Um, it's from bad people. I think we can say that. But I mean, if they're going to spend it on anything, and if they're going to make the the fans happy, it's it's not the worst thing that all of that can go to. Um, no, uh, it's it's it, it is a very exciting thing because there's just no way it seems to me to be competitive without that kind of money uh, behind you. At this right, point. right. To to amend a, to amend a famous quote, there is no ethical fandom under capitalism. So I <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, for me, I, I am going to go ahead and say someone making memories for me. Uh, it's it's football season. And I'm going to pick John Harbaugh uh, specifically of, of the Baltimore Ravens right now. And um, what John Harbaugh has, has kind of, I think, done with his mentality the last two weeks that has mattered to me is um, we all know about the, the, <laughs> the NFL record 66-yard field goal that Justin Tucker uh, booted just – Ever so barely through the not operation. the most important record they have. It's well, and and that's exactly the thing. The next week, we we um, in the waning moments of the game, thanks to an Anthony Averett um, AA interception, uh, we we got the one last play, and yeah, they ran the Lamar sweep uh, to the left side and and picked up I think like five yards to finish at 102 for the day. So they do have now. Tied the record for uh, 43 straight NFL games. And a lot of people were asking Lamar and asking John Harbaugh about it after the game. And Lamar, even like immediately after the game, now he's like, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Let's take a record from the Steelers. From our rival, too? Yes, totally. He actually said that, and I really appreciate that. Um, but he and a couple of the other players were like questioning it initially. And John Harbaugh went out and said, you know, for for the guys that are playing in the game and for the people that you know, came and came out to uh, Denver that day. And, and he, he said this in the week before, like the, the people who came out and saw that in Detroit, they're going to remember that kick for the rest of their lives. Like maybe, yeah, maybe we should have taken a Hail Mary shot instead. But he also knew that he had this, this incredible kicker, Justin Tucker, I think kind of inarguably, I think he the other week decided he's now the best kicker in NFL history. Um, what I would say... I would interject to say the comparison I would make is I would say Tucker is to like Vinatieri as Mahomes is to Brady Um, in terms of like greatness and significant kicks. If you look at it that way, but pure leg talent, pure arm talent, you would take the Mahomes Tucker side. I I will point out he has a much larger body of work than Patrick Mahomes. And that, that, that kick in the Denver uh, 2012 divisional round game, he's, he's had his share of momentous kicks. Of he is 16 for 16 in the uh, final minute of the first of fourth quarter or overtime. He uh, has made, I believe 49 straight in the fourth quarter at this time. I'm just saying, I'm just saying anyway, John Harbaugh's got this guy. He's like, you're great. 
let me give you a moment to be great. Let me give this team the week later, like a moment to be, he's, he's recognizing something I think is very important, which is that, you know, in a zero sum thing like sports fandom, it's important to find the other things to enjoy. And, and he's trying to seize on those moments. And I don't know what other like dusty old ass record he's going to pull out of his, pull out of his fucking pocket this week. Um, Lamar will make like four pass attempts in the, first minute while under pressure and we'll find out that no one's done that since 1972 i don't know um but i i appreciate his you yeah yeah i appreciate his uh his attention to making sure that like that that we appreciate that at all times we're watching sports we're watching history get made even if it doesn't seem momentous when you seek it out like that it's a lot better um, so yeah, I thank you, John Harbaugh. Thank you for making some lovely memories. If you want to know how I will remember that 66-yard kick, it was at uh, my me and my fiance's engagement party, and we were all watching it on a single cell phone that 10 of us were circled around, <laughs> and I <laughs> collapsed to the ground laughing when, when it happened. Just could not breathe for uh, about a minute. Uh, it's incredible. The added drama of it hitting the crossbar and having the additional second of like, which way is it going to fall? Like, and well. and you know we couldn't see that on the but we just heard it hit the crossbar. I was like, oh, oh, um, <laughs> and and yeah, subtle roller coaster. Um, but yeah, those are some memories right now. However, we want to remember some guys. Um, and Xavier, uh, why don't we? I, I, you, you are. Uh, our reigning champion for the best guy, bringing out your uh, your boy from from the Diamondbacks last time, um, which was incredible uh, scab strike breaking history. Um, so please, our good friend Xavier, are are uh, currently recovering from a painful wild card loss. Yankees fan Xavier, uh, what guy do you have for us today? All right, I'm excited to tell you about my guy, but first I want to give a quick shout out to Ricardo Pepe, who is Okay. Next great American hope. Oh. Scored 18-year-old Mexican-American soccer player. Scored two goals against Jamaica in the World Cup qualifier last night. This after scoring the winning goal on the road in Honduras in a World Cup qualifier last month. Honduras is not an easy place to go play either. The U.S. almost always loses there. And so the U.S., despite starting off the World Cup qualifying with two straight draws and a lot of Panic. They are now at the top of the table over four games. And it is very exciting because our team is all 18, 19, and 20 year olds. Best players yesterday were 18 year old Ricardo Pepe, 18 year old Eunice Musa, and 20 year old Serginho Dest. And we, were, we did that all missing Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, who are our two best players, who are also. 21 and 17 so perfect that was that was my one question because pulisic was when you said the next great american hope like that's the last guy i heard referred to as the next great american hope and uh, okay okay word it's yeah all right so he is still 21 though he is still like we can still be banking off this we're we're getting multiple next great american hopes all all melded together i love to hear that um if you i mean we're we're gonna make the world cup this time right it would be that, very tough. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. I won't work. say that, but I, we better not. We better That's, not mess it up at this point. All right, cool. I, I appreciate that level of confidence from you all. I International soccer is probably the hardest part of soccer for me to follow. Um, like, the leagues I can really keep up with because there's, you know, a specific leagues feed, but man, it's, it's tough sometimes that international. So I appreciate this. Thank you for letting me know that, uh, Xavier, very much so. But uh, yeah, so this was unintentional, but it actually runs into uh, into my guy. Okay. The U.S. has had a hard time uh, creating strikers for the longest time. Even in our last great generation, we Josie was good, but never never fully reached his potential. But one of the reasons we missed the World Cup was because we essentially had a lost generation of people who should have been in their prime, in, like in their mid to late 20s at the time of the 2018 World Cup, who never really developed. And the guy that I brought today is one of those guys. You remember Juan Agudelo. Juan Agudelo. Do I remember Juan Agudelo? 
Yeah, I like I vaguely remember that, which given that we're talking about soccer is impressive. Already an elite name. Just the Agudelo, like it just it has the perfect up down, four syllables, love a four syllable last name. In seven he, letters. What a name. Was he around what the same guy. time as, as Freddie Adu? Like I remember vague were they teammates at all or am I making that up? Um, I think they technically played on the same team, uh, same U.S. squad, maybe once. Okay, okay, so but, very brief overlap. But, but yeah, not 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 a not a not a big overlap. He's, he's the generation after Freddie Adu. Okay, so we've already but, uh, experienced some massive heartbreak about our most recent American Next Hope, and then here we have Agudelo. Yes, yeah, so, uh, Juan Agudelo. Uh, Born November 23rd, 1992, uh, in uh, Manizales, Colombia. Uh, I think that's the same week that our, our good friend uh, Justin Diaz was born. Am I right? Sounds about right. Nice. In the neighborhood. <laughs> so uh, he moved from Colombia to New Jersey uh, at the age of seven, and then he joined the Red Bulls Academy at the age of 14. Uh, this was back when academies were uh, just... I starting out um, the first 10, 15 years of MLS didn't really have academies. That's hence the reason for the MLS super draft. Uh, <laughs> it's super. Now, all right. All, now all MLS teams have their own academies, but the Red Bulls was one of the, was one of the first, you know, you get Wait. that with the Red Bulls money. Yeah. Quick interjection. <clears throat> which, which sponsored name is dumber? The Anaheim mighty ducks or the New York Red Bulls? Cause they're both pretty dumb. Well, the thing I... about Red Bulls is that Red Bull just owns like nine sports teams and they're all Red Bull something. Yeah. And it's, and it's pretty silly. Red Bull Leipzig. It's a, it's a recognizable brand name. Mighty ducks named after a Disney movie when Disney owned a team. To be fair, though, the thing it was named after was at least related to the sport before it was named after it. Fair enough. It's not like they have, for instance, I don't know, the the, uh, New Jersey Monsters sponsored by Monster Energy. (laughs) Although that would kind of work. Um, I mean, you could... uh, Would it be that far from, like... The Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild look right now? I don't know. Monster could sponsor a hockey team. Hey, Monster could sponsor, sponsor a hockey team. Well, I, would, I would say, like, lacrosse feels more up Monster's alley. Like, oh, you are absolutely correct. I am sorry. Thank you. Thank you for, for showing me where I was wrong. It is absolutely lacrosse. I could just see, so if we're going with our New Jersey-based team, be just the Montclair Monsters. We're ready to go. Gonna, gonna Montclair is where get some balls uh, Red, Bull, Red just... Bull Two plays. So Montclair State University, home of Red Bull Two and the Red Bull Academy. So it's it, it, all of this is just full circle. This is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, all connected. Ouroboros. But um, back to Juan Agudelo. Please, so, yeah, uh, sorry. He he made his uh, senior debut in a U.S. Open Cup game against the Philadelphia Philadelphia Union at the age of seventeen on April twenty seventh, twenty ten. He was the uh, second ever homegrown player for the uh, New York Red Bulls and the first to ever actually make their senior debut. James, I don't know if you know what homegrown players are, but uh, MLS coming up through the academy, essentially, right? Yeah, MLS's salary structure is really, really weird. Where you have a set salary limit, but there are certain rules that are allowed that allow you to go over that limit. So, say the salary cap is five hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. But you can sign three designated players who are really, t- really. They're supposed to be like the high end players that you okay. um, pay up, like a bunch a- of money to. But their cap amount is limited to a certain number, to, so it help you stay under the salary cap. Homegrown players are also exempt from the salary cap because they come through your academy. Okay, so it's it is similar to say a mid level exception in the NBA or a veteran exception or a trade exception, something along those lines. Kind of, yeah. All right. Well, so um, Agudelo was the, the second ever homegrown for Red Bulls, but first to actually make the first team. Um, he had a pretty rapid rise. He ended up making his um, 
he made his debut for the U.S. men's national team, uh, senior team, at November, uh, November 17th, uh, 2010, uh, as, a, uh, as a sub against South Africa in the Nelson Mandela Challenge. Uh, he scored the equalizing goal uh, in a 1-1 uh, game. At the time, he was the youngest uh, scorer in uh, national team history. I, I want to make it clear I'm not mocking Nelson Mandela. That just sounds like something that would be going on at TikTok where, like, you're <laughs> miming an a old Nelson speech Mandela of his. Challenge. Yeah, I don't know if any, like, Nelson Mandela speeches have recently gone viral. I'm sure he, I'm, from what I've largely heard of his speeches, he was spitting fire. So, like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get Nelson Mandela trending. Yeah, so 17 years old, he's made his, de- he's made his senior debut for the Red Bulls. Made his senior debut for U.S. men's national team. Everyone's thinking, you know, he could be the the next big USA striker after Josie Altador, who also came through New, the New York ranks back when they were the Metro Stars. Um, and I actually saw him play. Uh, he scored the equalizer at a one-one game against Argentina at the Meadowlands uh, in 2011. Uh, I was at this game with. Uh, a high school buddy of mine who was Argentinian and his family who were also all Argentinian sitting in the Argentina section, which was very fun because I got to see Lionel Messi play. And also the U S didn't lose. It was because a teenager scored a goal for us. That's Hey, you didn't lose to Lionel Messi. Fuck. Yeah. That's a win for a first, like 12 months of like a professional career. This is like, I, how did say- I, I like. I'm sure you're going to get to it, but I'm like mind blown as to how this guy did not turn out to be more than just a guy, become like a stud. So he ended up making 14 appearances for the U.S. Uh, men's national team in 2011 alone. He was in every single game, and he was getting brought along pretty slowly um, at Red Bulls because, again, he still he was still very young. But uh, in so in November of 2011, he went on. Um, Training stint with both Liverpool and uh, Stuttgart of the uh, of the German Bundesliga, and it looked like he was going to get signed by either Liverpool or Stuttgart. Uh, then there was some rumors that Celtic, the big one of the two big teams in Scotland, wanted him. Uh, and then surprisingly, he got traded in May of 2012 to Chivas USA. Uh, the reasons why the Red Bulls traded him. Essentially, they had Thierry Henry as their main striker at the time, despite being nearly like 34 years old at the time. Thierry Henry was still by far our best player and almost certainly the best player in MLS. Um, because I pretty much Henry. assume if it's if it's a <clears throat> soccer player whose name I recognize, I assume that they just wreck shit. Like I, they, well, Thierry, that's that's how they've reached my sphere. Just Thierry Henry came over at a very like very old compared to a lot of people who come over, but he because he's Thierry Henry, he's just great and was fantastic. Yeah. So he traded, so uh, Juan Agudelo gets traded to Chivas. I'm sure you don't know a lot about Chivas. Chivas were a really weird MLS expansion team that were essentially Chivas Guadalajara is one of the biggest uh, clubs in Liga MX uh, in mm-hmm. Mexico, and they made a essentially junior club as an MLS expansion team in LA called Chivas USA, essentially to tap into the Mexican uh, diaspora in Los Angeles. Okay, Did not work. We love some good no, no Fernando Mania for this one. <laughs> Chivas had one of the lowest fandoms, like lowest Ugh. support. It got folded. It's gone. It no longer exists. <laughs> so Agudelo's time at Chivas was not great, uh, but still he was getting you know a lot of buzz about a big move to uh, to the UK. Apparently, he was really really close to a move to Scotland and Celtic, but it just didn't. Uh, didn't happen, but he ended up getting traded after a year. He ended up getting traded to New England. But now he's at his third right. club in two in two years. Not what the revolution. As a, yes, revolution. not not what you want as a twenty year old. Um, regardless, he actually did end up getting a Premier League move. He got signed by Stoke City in August of twenty thirteen. Uh, Stoke at the time 
been well established in the Premier League. Since then, they have not done so well and been relegated, but they were around Newcastle's level for 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 a while. Okay. Um, I was couldn't get a work permit to play in the, to actually play in the UK because of his age uh, and because Ooh. he hadn't played enough games for the US. So they immediately sent him uh, out to the Dutch league, um, and so he played half a season in the Dutch league. Well, Oh, quick interjection. Was this a English government rule or was this a Premier League rule that he wasn't able to come? So this is uh, so the English government sets rules for work permits um, uh, for players and they have they have different rules um, in conjunction with uh, with with English FA where essentially uh, it goes based on uh, team uh, country's FIFA ranking and how how often that they've played for this country in the past couple of years it's like if you if you're coming from a place where that's like top 10 you only have to have played like 30 percent of of the games if it's 20 to or 11 to 30 you have to have played 50 percent if it's a a lower ranked team you had to have played like 75 percent it's a really weird formula that they use it's only gotten more complex since brexit but this was all pre-brexit so we don't have to really get into that right now that is just, like I know you gotta find a way to make numbers happen sometimes. That's so wild. They're like your country is too shitty at soccer for enough of those games to have counted. Yeah, like we we don't know that you're legitimate. That's how bad your country is at soccer. Like I have two thoughts on yeah. it, and like, and the first one is okay. It's England. They would make any kind of exception to get soccer talent in. But then the other side of it is England takes their soccer so serious that they're not going to let anybody just wander in and disgrace their game. That's incredible. Yeah, so he couldn't get the work permit, went on loan to uh, the Dutch Eredivisie, um, half a season there. But again, to get a work permit, still couldn't do it. So Stoke canceled his contract so he could go somewhere else. He... So he never appeared in the Premier League at all, or even in any yeah. cup competitions. Just could not could not play in England, and he found himself without a team. And so he ended up missing out on an entire year of playing soccer between April 2014 and April 2015. And he ended up back in New England the, a year later. So at the age of 22, he's gone from jump debuting as a 17-year-old uh, with the Red Bulls in the national team, playing a full season uh, in, tw- in uh, 2011 uh, with the Red Bulls and 14 games with the national team. Then Chivas, where nothing happened. Then a year at New England, and a year trying to play at Stoke but couldn't, and a year doing nothing, and then a year back at New England, all by the age of 22. So Houses. that's really not good for uh, you know, a, a kid during the most prime years of development in soccer terms. And uh, since since then, you know, he's he's been in MLS. He, he's for the past seven seasons, he played for New England, Miami, Minnesota. He's had a solid, like, okay career. You know, he scored thirty-five goals, sixteen assists, and one hundred and seventy-seven games. Uh, but he's only appeared for the U.S. a couple times since then. You know, more than half of his appearances all came in in that uh, one year in 2011, and uh, did end up getting a, a gold cup winners medal in 2017. Oh yeah, he didn't really, but he didn't really play. He was just in the squad and he got the medal. I mean, I feel he, like for some people, some people are like, oh, that's great. Now, like some dudes who rode the bench on like teams and get rings seem to fucking dig that. And then I don't know. I feel like some people might think, oh, but what did I catch? I, I'm always interested by what does someone on the peripheries of any kind of championship or trophy like feel about that trophy? It's one of those things where if it, like in a vacuum solid like 10 year career in MLS playing for your country 20 something times having a couple goals getting uh, a a gold cup uh, winner's medal like riding the bench like and technically he's the third highest scoring uh, homegrown player of all time behind Giassi's artist and Diego Fagundes 
So in, in a vacuum, that's that's a that's a solid career. That's an okay career. When you're 18 years old, you've already scored multiple goals, played in every game for your country that year, training with Liverpool, hoping to make a big money move to Liverpool, and this is where you're at when you're 28, 29, like. It it feels as though something was squandered. There, there's definitely yeah. a a feeling of uh, of unrealized potential. We can say, um, damn, that's a good that's a good, not tragic arc. I appreciate that it's not a tragic arc. It's like very quickly just kind of a plateau, um, yeah. and just just kind of stays there. Word that's, Juan that, Aguadello. Juan Aguadello. I love, love that name. It's a hell of a guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, phenomenal, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I like i I appreciate knowing more about soccer. I know I need to like be better educated, and I do genuinely try to follow. But god damn, there is a lot. There is a whole fucking lot. So of it. many leagues. There's so it's, many leagues. Correct me if I'm incorrect, but there is soccer at all times, right? Like, what's what's the right. longest stretch of time? between major soccer games like is there ever more than a couple weeks so like the premier league runs like august through may um so i guess technically june july would be two months it's off but even then that's when yeah. is that's obviously oh, when that's the major international competitions are happening that, yeah that, that was what i would think um i have i LS have the up, like two and that's something I love about it. I think it's incredibly cool. Like, it is it is so phenomenal to see just this this constant churn because I feel like there's this effort um, here in North America to, like, make a constant churn out of a lot of uh, our leagues, but you, you end up having to do that with, like, just the boring shit that happens in the offseason sometimes. Whereas, like, at least if it's happening there, there is genuine soccer or Football, um, at all times. Football. I'll make sure to say it that way. I can't say football, but I'll say football um, when we refer to it. Wonderful. Um, Diaz, I'm happy to go next if you'd like, or if you'd like to take it. It's, it's, what what you feeling? What you feeling? I will. Uh, I will go. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, this guy, you know, one of the greatest athletes to ever come from the island of Hispaniola. Uh, okay. And- Came to the Americas um, at a young age to hone his craft and his sport. Um, turned out to be a very powerful force in his sport. Um, of course, I'm talking about Slamming Sammy Dallenbear. Not so so. <laughs> Ooh, I, Samuel Dallenbear. I love, it. I love it. All right. So, Samuel Dallenbear, to give you uh, a top down of his career. Um, he was the Sixers' first-round pick following their 2001 NBA Finals defeat to the Lakers, um, which, of course, the greatest Game 1 win in yeah, NBA yeah, history, they, Allen they Iverson. Over. Do you still have that step-over step t-shirt? Of course I do. That's, such a, that's such a good fucking t-shirt. I could tell you exactly <laughs> where it is. I could go into my room and grab it right now. Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, for the uninitiated, if there's anyone listening here that has not seen Justin Diaz's shirt multiple times, which if you know Justin Diaz is not true because you've definitely seen it multiple times, it's literally just a, a screen-printed shot of Allen Iverson stepping over Ty Lue in Game 1 of the 2000, uh, 2001 NBA Finals. 2001, 2001 NBA Finals. Yeah. and just it's, the, it's incredible. The look of pure contempt on Iverson's face as he looks down at Lou, and Lou just looks so defeated, like, wow, I, I can't do shit about this. Nope. Um, Ty Lou. He's a championship caliber coach, and that's all anyone will ever remember about him. Ty Lou, Ty Lou would be a great guy to dive into at another time. Um, but before I get too far down on sidebars, uh, so following that 2001 NBA Finals defeat, um, the Sixers draft Samuel Dallenbear to be the young protege. Uh, learning behind Dikembe Mutombo to eventually become uh, the shot-blocking legend. Um, so his first year, very sporadically plays. Obviously, the Sixers are still a team uh, with some title aspirations at this point. Um, going into his second season, he uh, blew his knee out uh, in camp. So he ended up missing his whole second season. But when he came back for his third season, um, Mutombo had since moved on, and Dallin Bear became the starting center. Um, Crazy thing about Samuel D'Alembert. So 
of course, I'm, I forget exactly the year, but around, I want to say 2006 is when Iverson was traded to the Nuggets. Um, so Dallin Bear played those first few years with Iverson. His career with the Sixers lasted long enough that when Iverson then came back for those like 15 games where, you know, we acted like he was still Allen Iverson, but he really yeah. wasn't. But it was yeah. great. We had, you we had all sentimental got the moments. emotional catharsis that you needed from that moment, and then we all put it to rest. He kissed the court. I remember him crying at his return press conference, and I couldn't tell you anything else about the, <laughs> the, the, what happened when he came back um, because it ended right then. It was just a beautiful reunion. Yeah. Um, but Sammy Dallenbear stuck around with the Sixers for so long that he was still the team starting center when Iverson came back at that point. Um, spent essentially the entire decade of, uh, of the aughts playing for the Sixers. Um, now, the, if I may interject, the name sounds vaguely French. You said Hispaniola. Are we talking Dominican or are we talking Haitian? Oh, so that's why I said Hispaniola. He is okay. Haitian. Okay. Born in, uh, born in Port-au-Prince. Uh, he moved to Canada. Not the okay. State. He moved to sense. Canada. Move to Quebec? When he... Uh, where did he move? I had it right here. Yeah, he did move to Montreal. It makes sense. It's staying it's French, man. Staying French. Moved, moved to Montreal at 14 um, and uh, went to uh, Lucien Paget, I guess is how you would say that, for a bit. And then when he realized that uh, this basketball thing could work out for him, he moved to New Jersey. So he played at St. Patrick High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Why is everyone um, moving to fucking New Jersey today? New Jersey has so many prep academies. It's insane. You go That's one block and there's another prep academy. For football or basketball, yeah. you either go to New Jersey or Virginia if you want to go to a prep academy. Because well, well, the whole New, the New Jersey thing is that they have the benefit of being close enough to Philly and New York City where it's like, hey, do you want to be close to this city but you don't want to pay city taxes? I have get we that. Got okay. a state for you. I get that. I get that. Um, so that's somewhat the appeal. And then he ended up going to Seton Hall. Um, so he really, really, truly leaned into the New Jersey-ness. Um, and they got to stay somewhat local, playing with the Sixers. Um, for those who do not remember, Samuel Dallenbear was a center. Um, and uh, really just, he's almost the, um, just the picture-perfect, like, 2000 center, where he was a ferocious rebounder, was a great shot blocker, never was in the top five in uh, blocks in a season. But from my research, at least twice finished sixth in blocks. So never quite in that elite pantheon. Um, but sixth certainly in blocks is like you're, you are you're arguably a top six center in the NBA, probably if you're putting up six blocks. And that's that's, you know, second tier sixth in blocks, I should say. Sixth, oh, oh, OK. <laughs> Six no, 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 I heard six. no, I did not think he was making six blocks a game. Blocks. I heard, I did hear six. Dude, six, six, six blocks a game would be like that's like Bill Russell territory pretty yeah, quickly. That's that's the joke version of Dikembe Mutombo. Like that's the the fictionalized version of Dikembe Mutombo has six blocks a game. Right. What um where he did have six blocks a game. So this is another thing I wanted to bring up. Um, on I want to say NBA Two K Two. Um. Dallenbear was tall enough that he could just basically block anything. And of course, yeah. you, know, you can't just block it at the rim on a jump shot. It's goaltending. But there was a glitch in that game where if you timed it just right on a free throw, it could be the first or the second free throw. You could take him off the low block and just reject the shit out of this free throw. Um, <laughs> and it was legal. Oh, and it was counter with blocks. So like, I would just routinely get at least 20 blocks a game I with Danny Dallenbear. Let me tell you, you'd play me once ever, and I'd never fucking play you again. That's like, but that's incredible. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I'd, I would do it against the computer. You know, I, I to, to okay, me, okay. the way the way I look at like exploiting glitches is like, if it's a single player experience, do whatever you want. It, that's like that's fun. Um, but when it gets to actual competition, like let's uh, let's respect the the norms a little bit here. Um. But anyway, NBA 2K aside, um, aside, let me put that aside, aside. Um, 
So he plays for the Sixers for the entire decade, basically. Um, ends up getting traded for Andres Nocioni and Spencer Hawes. Um, Spencer Hawes just... Spencer Hawes is the very first Sixers game I went to. Just one one of the Emily most... Croak just hooked us up with tickets out of nowhere. Emily Croak. Oh, that was... I forgot. We'll to have have marketing. would love to have Emily Croak on here sometime. We need to have Emily uh, on and uh, remember, remember some girls. Yes. That would be perfect. Um, but anyway, he uh, after leaving the Sixers, um, very difficult for Mr. Dylan Bear, became the definition of a journeyman, did not play more than one full season with any team for the rest of his career, although he did play for five more years in the NBA. Um, so he bounced around uh, first to the Kings and the Spencer Halls trade. Then he goes to the Houston Rockets. Then he goes to the Milwaukee Bucks. Finally plays for the Dallas Mavericks and then goes to Xavier. Where did he go for his last NBA season? If you're talking to me, I'm assuming he went to the Knicks, but I don't remember. The Dallas New York yet. Knicks. However, the New York Knicks. His playing career does not end there. Unfortunately, he did try to go back to the Mavericks, got an injury in preseason, wasn't able to make the team. Um, but he played two more seasons in the CBA. Not the Canadian Basketball League, the Chinese Basketball Association. Yeah. Uh, for the Shanxi Zhong Yu. Zhong Yu means Brave Dragons. So he played two seasons in, uh, in Shanxi. Um, was not able to win a title, unfortunately. Um, and that was the end of his professional career. Um, very briefly, though, because, you know, as we talked with Juan Agudelo, there's domestic, there's club, and then there's international. Um, so international, Samuel D'Alembert was the great Canadian hope once they were going to get his passport or his, uh, his visa sorted, his citizenship. Once they got his citizenship sorted, uh, Samuel D'Alembert joined the Canadian team in hopes of making the 08 Olympics, which was, of course, the Redeem team, USA. Yep. Yep. No, good. We, we, could, we could go for hours debating the Redeem team against the Dream team who would win. Um, but meanwhile, just north of the border, they had some different dreams of just to make the tournament. Um, and uh, Samuel D'Alembert, of course, steps right in international competition. He's able to dominate, particularly in the Americas, where um, center play can be lacking at, at times for a lot of the countries in the Americas beyond the United States. Um, so in the uh, in the FIBA Americas Championship, he led the tournament in blocks per game. Um, so he did once with 2.4 blocks per game. He was able to claim the spot as the best at blocking shots, um, although he was frequently just on the periphery of that in the NBA. Um, so he goes to the pre-Olympic qualifying tournament in 2008. Um, two resounding victories uh, against Lebanon and New Zealand. So they're looking great. They're looking very primed to enter the Olympic qualifying tournament until Samuel D'Alembert was dismissed from the team because of, because of a rift between him and the coach, Leo Routens. Could not find any more information on this rift, um, but I would love uh, Sammy, Leo, if either of you are listening. <laughs> I'd love to know how Sammy went from being the great hope of getting Canada to the Olympics to being dismissed from the team. The, um, the original Maple Jordan, which I guess, to, uh, I can't think of a good, I can't think of a good, Wilt Maperlin? Maple, is this, is this anything? Wilt Maperlin? I like that. Yeah. It's close. It's close. I like, I like some wordplay. It's, uh, it's a forced poor man tale. It's, it's, a it's, man, a poor, it's, a, it's a poor man's toe. It's a poor man's toe. <laughs> damn it, that was good. God damn it, that was good. I gotta say, you know, if I ever do have kids one day, I'm gonna step in right away with elite dad joke. Just, I'd, if, if I had a 2K You're rating, I'm at, ni- I'm at 95 yeah. already. I'm, You're I'm very proud of that. Um, but uh, just one last thing about Mr. D'Alembert um, to show... You know, it goes beyond the court. Obviously, Haiti, unfortunately, has, um, you know, get perpetually fucked by earthquakes. Um, but uh, Sammy D'Alembert is uh, one of the 
uh, you know, leading people to donate um, in the in the aftermath of those. Uh, he actually received in 2009, 2010, the J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award for his contributions to the Haitian people after the earthquake. Um, since then, has continued to be loyal to his birthplace, um, yeah. helping out, you know, every two or three years when another devastating earthquake ruins everything that they've built back. Uh, thankfully, Sammy is there to still help. Um, so that's my guy this week. That's Samuel D'Alembert, played 15 years in the NBA, um, which just goes to show the value of being tall. Um, How to, yeah. What is it, like 70% of people that are taller than 6'9", like, have at least talked to someone about that? There's, there's some statistic that it's an insane. <laughs> as soon as you hit that height, it's just an insane percentage of, of people playing I, professional basketball. It, it was at least double-digit percentage of everybody who grows to be seven foot or higher makes okay. it to the NBA. Okay. God damn. God, that's, that's buck wild. Um, just and I, I assume the, the, the rest become volleyball players, I would assume. But Volleyball, what are some other good? Uh, I mean, hey, every once in a while, a good downhill throwing pitcher. Uh, you need a good downhill oh, yeah. throwing pitcher with those, those big crane legs. Um. Ali G. Willikers, just a bunch of bunch of big old guys. Um, I appreciate that both of yours were like both very, very bright and then still lingered for a while. I have to admit, my guy, the tale of his career is a little bit briefer. Um, but I do want to tell you about the 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 person that should have won 2009 AL Rookie of the Year. Um, I will I will go to my grave telling you that um, the person we are going to get to. Is, is the 2009 AL Rookie of the Year. Um, it is an Oriole, as you might guess. Uh, 2009, 2009 was a lot like what I'm expecting the 2022 Oriole season to be like. I do believe that it is going to be a repeat of seeing just rookies thrown at the wall with genuine hope, uh, whereas the last couple of years we've had rookies thrown at the wall because... Um, the Michael Elias and the Angelos are still forced to play 162 games of baseball, although they'd rather not. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Cause next year we're going to try just like we were starting to try in 2009. Um, that being said, it was a rough roster at the start of the year. Uh, when your top two pitchers are Jeremy Guthrie and already at this point in 2009, veteran presence, Rich Hill, who Rich he, Hill. He was a grizzled veteran in 2009. Like, that's how he was being presented to us. And he's, is he in the playoffs still right now? I can't remember who he pitched with this year, but he was, he he was with the Rays. He's still in the league. Yeah, he's still absolutely in the league. Uh, um, no, it was definitely not in the playoffs because he's with the Mets now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Last year, last, year he was, last year he was on the, uh, on, on the Rays. He's, uh, he's not, he, yeah. He started the season with the Rays. Um, Mr. Dick Mountain. Yeah. Was traded for Tommy Hunter. Uh, Tommy Hunter, another, I believe also, no, Tommy Hunter comes along in 2011 because Tommy Hunter is part of a trade. So we started with Jeremy Guthrie and Rich Hill and pretty much nothing else uh, for pitching. And so we just started bringing up rookies, both pitchers and hitters. Um, we, had, we had six rookie pitchers get starts. Five of them won their debuts. If we had gotten one more, we would have broken the MLB record uh, for most rookies winning their starting debuts. And the only one that lost is probably going to be the one that you would recognize the name of the most. Uh, Chris Tillman was uh, the one that lost his debut. But other than that, we had some absolute luminaries. You know, Jason Birkin, um, erstwhile Philly David Hernandez. Uh, long time only can pitch against left-handers Brian Mattis. Uh, <laughs> the season's war leader on this team, Brad Bergeson, um, who just, like, I also considered for this, but just isn't fun enough because it happens this once and then he's never part of anything else. But he did pass Nick Markakis and Adam Jones this season uh, to be the war leader for the, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Koji Uohara. Heard of any of those guys. Yeah, and Koji Uohara, who is a, a World I've Series champion with, Koji, with the, the Boston Red Sox. He was a starter. He came to the Orioles because he was told he would be a starter. And then we moved him to the bullpen like halfway through the season. Um, 
the other really big rookie that came up uh, this year, at least with hype, um, was a rookie whose whose debut I got to be at completely accidentally, and I had tickets to this game. Um, but and, and it was it was actually announced during Chris Tillman's debut, which I was at, so I didn't hear this announcement. But on the broadcast, um, Andy McPhail, who was the GM at the time, he comes on and says Matt Weeders will be premiering soon. So we go and and Matt Weeders comes up. Uh, we beat the Tigers that night. I actually uh, my biology teacher threw out the first pitch that uh, night because he had been uh, the Baltimore City Teacher of the Year. What was, and, what was his congratulations. Name? What was um. Oh my goodness! It was Nicholas Greer. Nicholas Greer. Shout uh, out, Mister Greer. Shouts to Nick Greer. Great dude. Uh, not an Orioles fan. Um, I believe <laughs> I think he might have been a Red Sox. No, Dennis Jutras, who was our history teacher, was a. We don't need to talk about my high school. Nobody's perfect. But Nobody's perfect. while watching uh, Nick Reed throw, uh, Nick Greer, Nick Greer throw out that first pitch, I was on the flag court, gave up my spot to someone on the flag court when I then went to go sit with friends. Uh, that guy did catch a Luke Scott grand slam later, which ended up winning the game. So that hurt a little bit. Um, it was a season of a lot of hurt, but there was one bright spot, and that was the person that I was determined to campaign for 2009 AL Rookie of the Year. And it was not Matt Weeders. Uh, it was a guy by the name of Nolan Gallagher Reimold. Nolan Reimold. Y'all ever heard of no- Nolan Reimold? The name sounds so familiar. It's So he was... so. If I had to ask you about the Orioles outfield from like the late 2000s to the you know, mid-2010s, center field... It's Adam Jones. Right field, it's Nick Markakis. Left field was a fucking revolving door. Um, we started this season with a guy, Felix P.A., who does at one point in his career hit for the cycle, which is great. Um, and it should tell you all you need to know about his career, that really the only thing I have to say is that he hit for the cycle once. Um, Nolan Reimold comes up one point during 2009 because of an injury to Felix P.A., and he stays with the team the whole time. He had uh, been a second-round pick in 2005 by the Orioles. He's the second highest ever pick out of Bowling Green State University, um, where he had played in the MAC, some MACTION. Um, in 2005, b- before he gets drafted, he slashed 360 batting average, 496 OPS, 720 slugging. Uh, he led in all three of those categories. And the only reason that he did not win the Triple Crown was that he uh, was, like, three RBIs short of a teammate of his. So, like, uh, a, by far the best offensive player in that conference that year. Uh, so he gets drafted by the Orioles. And he's bouncing around to their Hawaiian uh, Fall and Winter League. At one point, he's, he's playing with uh, this Hawaiian team that also has Matt Weeders and Justin Smoke. Uh, fun fact about Justin John Smoke. Smoke. Justin Smoke was uh, like a, a, a big character in the home run race in the Nippon League this year. Like Justin Smoke was leading the league uh, like halfway through the season with 20-something dingers in the Nippon League this year. I love that about the Nippon League because it'll be like, oh, like what happened to this guy that all he ever did was hit home runs? And then you look, it's like, oh my God, he's like, all he's doing. In Nippon. Like, yeah, he's just fucking raking. Um, it's it's KBO. Matt Stairs is a guy. KBO too. Yeah, right. I yeah, exactly. KBO, you got like Eric Thames coming back. Um, I mean, we had like Wei Yin Chen was was a, a what, probably Wei Yin Chen might have been the best Orioles pitcher that I've gotten to see for an extended period of time in my life, which is not great. Um, but not the we're not talking about pitching. We're talking about Nolan Reimold. Um. Nolan Reimold like go, goes off the season. He has he has a great season. He plays 106, uh, 104 games, one hundred and four games. Um, bats two seventy nine, three sixty five OBP, uh, four sixty six slugging. I'm conv- like I immediately lashed onto them, and this is partially because I was in high school and I wanted to be a contrarian little piece of shit. And everyone was like, Matt Weeters is like, hey, Matt Weeters is great, but Nolan Reimold. Ha- have you considered? Nolan However, Reimold? if I can interject. Uh, Nolan- Nolan Reimold is the first player I ever made a sign for that I brought to the game, uh, like trying to get on TV. I said it was rhyme time, time spelled T-I-M, or T-E-I-M, because it is Reimold, R-E-I-M-O-L-D. It was pretty dumb. I did not get on the... I have since gotten on the big screen many times and on the broadcast a couple times, but that's only because I have ended up accidentally knowing people that worked for them. So I feel like it's a little bit cheating now. Anywho. Nolan Reimold has this this season, and it just 
it was, I think, the peak of feeling like being an Orioles fan was just kind of futile in general. Like, because here was this guy succeeding, and I was certain I was watching a star being born, uh, despite the fact that during his rookie season, he was actually the oldest of the three starting outfielders. He was older than Adam Jones by about a year and had like a couple weeks on Nick Markakis during his rookie season. Uh, but I was still so certain. I'm like, okay, we've got a full outfield now. This is great. The Orioles are now locked in at those three spots. Um, I mean, we had we took the opening series from the Yankees in the beginning of 2009, and I think that made it one of the first years I was like, maybe we'll do something. Maybe the Orioles will, will start to matter again. And I was only off by a couple of years. Uh, I was not that year. Um, Orioles do that a lot, don't they? I feel like first series. We, we led the division for more days than the Blue Jays and the Yankees combined this year. We, we led the division for eight days. That's a hell of a stat. Yankees only led the division for a single day this year. Um, so really, we should have gotten the second wild card spot, is what I'm saying. Mathematically speaking, you're eight times. Mathematically speaking, baby. Um, yeah, so he's, he, uh, I believe he's Dallas Braden. Uh, I be- I'm fairly certain is the winner of the uh, 2009 AL. I'm actually going to double check. Oh, Dallas Braden. But the two position players um, are who I wanted to specifically compare him to because it's Elvis Andrews. And look, I'm going to go ahead and say I am very much a fan of Elvis Andrews. It's I'm sorry, it's Andrew Bailey of the Oakland Athletics who has very similar Dallas Braden vibes, I think, but it was Andrew Bailey. <laughs> um, he's got Dallas Braden vibes, but he's Andrew Bailey. And then it's, uh, it's Elvis Andrews and Gordon Beckham. Nolan Reimold leads all rookie position players in war. Period. Like he leads all of them in that. Um, he uh, led both of them in all slash stats. Uh, Elvis Andrews played like yes. Elvis Andrews was a full time player from pretty much the start of the year. He played 145 games. Nolan Ryan played 104, and not only in that, he out earned him in WAR despite a 40 game difference. It was just like. And I remember seeing some uh, articles at the end. I was like, oh, well, well, if we were doing Rookie of the Year for the rookie we think has the most potential, then maybe they'd mention Matt Wieters. A couple people even mentioned Brad Bergeson uh, going back there. But it just felt insane to me that no one was mentioning Nolan Reimold. And then the next year, 2010, uh, I kind of got shown why. He sucks. He just, out, like, there's no way around it. He sucks uh, in 2010. <laughs> Um, and he's just uh, really, really poor. Uh, ends up seeding a lot of that time back to back to Felix PA. Um, and then the next season in 2011 it doesn't really get any easier. We don't pull any more left fielders in, but it's it's really the two of them splitting it. Neither of them ever distinguishes themselves. But in 2011, he does become part of a quintessential uh, moment in the legend of Orioles futility. And he kind of gets forgotten about this one in a little bit. Uh, but I think it's just important. Um, it is the final day of the 2011 baseball season. The Boston Red Sox have been collapsing for a month, and it's a beautiful thing to see. The Rays have been red hot for a month, and it's an acceptable thing to see if it makes <laughs> Red Sox fans unhappy, which it was very much doing. So that's great. We'll take it. Um, and the Red Sox come to order. And that poverty franchise... Is, is dismantled by just a bunch of fucking goobers in orange and black um, under Buck Showalter, finishing out what is going to be a pretty pretty shitty 69 and, and uh, 93 season all in all. But in this moment, in this final game, after rain delays, after um, like slowly watching this extra innings game in Tampa, um, it's two outs in the bottom of the ninth, the Red Sox lead. And Chris Davis, and this is 2011 Chris Davis, so this is like two years removed from being Chris Davis, Chris Davis. But Chris Davis comes up, uh, having come over from that Koji Uehara trade from the Texas Rangers. He doubles. He's on second now. And now, the tying run is on second. The go-ahead run is at the plate. And that person is Nolan Reimold. Nolan Reimold is the second hit in this sequence, and you might be familiar with the next person who's going to come up in a second, but Nolan Reimold is the one that ties the game. Nolan Reimold laces another double to the outfield. Chris Davis scampers on home. We've got a tie game. We're going to extras no matter what. Now it is time for Robert Andino, and this is often called the curse of the Andino because Robert Andino, yeah, he absolutely smokes a beautiful single um, that, that 
scores Reimold. Reimold is the game-tying RBI and the game-winning run in this uh, beautiful game that sends Red Sox fans uh, home unhappy. And now I'm like, okay, you know, we saw 2009. 2009 was real. 2010 was tough. But this is this is where we're going to turn things around for Nolan Reimold. I, my, my, my Nolan Reimold stock from 2009 had taken a dip, but I was I before <laughs> I was almost ready you to sell. I was almost ready to sell, but in this moment, I I was absolutely buying it up. I was getting I was like, hey, you remember how I told you about Nolan Reimold? Dude, like, come on, you know I called Nolan Reimold a couple of years ago, and at the beginning of 2012, I look prescient. Um, he is. Like absolutely knocking the leather off the ball in 2012 before he suffers from a herniated disc. Mm. This is this is the beginning of it. Um, this 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 disc becomes a problem. He does not come back in 2012. Um, even in 2013, he's he's struggling. Um, he ends up actually going away from the team for a while. He goes. He's uh, is is uh, waived by the Orioles. Um, he spent some time with the Toronto system, spent some time with Arizona. Um, and it's like, he's, he's rushed back from this herniated disc thing is really the thing. And, um, really kind of re-aggravates it and has been very frank about this. Like he, he, you know, is, is upset with the medical staff that, that cleared him and not the Orioles medical staff. He was upset with, uh, the venerable Baltimore institution, Johns Hopkins, um, their sports Whoa. doctors were the ones that were involved with this, and he was really fucking understandably pissed um, because it's it complete like he he never comes back to that 2012 form. Um, he does eventually come back to Baltimore um, in 2015, as as we know the window's winding down. At the time, I thought the window would last forever, but the window's winding down in 2015. Uh, he does get a spring training assignment, and he plays a little bit of September, so he's with the franchise again. And um, 2016, he does come back. In 2016, he's with the team the whole year. 2016, again, we didn't know at the time, but it was, it was the last good Orioles season. Um, and he plays 104 games, the most he has played since his rookie season when he played 104 games. Something a little beautiful, I think, about that. But he's, he's 32 years old, and he's got a 78 OPS plus in left field. Um, the writings on the wall, and and that is his last. Uh, that's his last MLB season. He does sign on with the Long Island Ducks independent league for another year after that, uh, and then after that he wraps it up. But because that seems kind of sad and kind of a downer, there's one very fun thing that I do want to mention. Not a fun thing, but just a nice uh, a nice ending. In 2015, he does go ahead and sue Johns Hopkins Hospital, and they do settle out of court. And he does get a very large lump sum. The terms have never been described, but he's been determined. Uh, he has been described as being satisfied with the restitution that he received for a a medical uh, a medical diagnosis that or medical treatment that probably didn't ruin like quite the career I was expecting. But it it a big problem with those orders. We had a lot, you know. We had guys like Nate McClough, very speedy. We had Nelson Cruz for a season. Mm-hmm. We should have kept Nelson Cruz, but that that left field spot, it, it was always a matter of having to fill it. And I was so certain in 2009 we had those three. You you could not have told me that there was any outcome other than at least five good seasons of knowing who our three outfielders were. I was so on board with Nolan Gallagher Rymel, and uh, got us like, hey. I was wrong, but, but, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's Nolan Reimold. He is, he is, I I have never irrationally, I think, loved a player that much. I don't think I've ever loved a player that now looking back with like what I know about, you know, people that don't make the league until they're decent left fielders at 25 or 26. Um, now I know how that trajectory normally works. Not quite as surprising, but. Uh, it was it was it was a tough one for for young James to to move past that. So that was that was a hometown hero that I I truly thought we'd have a lot more to see with. But that's still like I love that like he's he's always going to be significant in like the annals of baseball history. Yeah, got got the the game tying RBI and scored the game winning run in one Absolutely. of the craziest like 
game 162 scenarios like I think we've ever seen, really. Because both those games were happening, like, same time, right? It was absolutely simultaneous. I have a little bit of the time uh, written down because they, they start right around the same time, and it's 3-2 in the seventh in Orioles Park, uh, in Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, they're technically, fun fact, the, the ballpark is technically a different thing, entity from the stadium Camden Yards area around it legally. There is Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Um, anywho, that's when the hour and 26 minute rain delay begins. And during that hour and 26 rain delay is when uh, the Yankees blow a 7 nothing lead that they have in the 8th. Six runs in the bottom of the 8th are scored uh, by Tampa. Uh, Evan Longoria, uh, then he, he's got a three-run homer in that inning that makes it 7-6. In the ninth inning, uh, and this is still during the rain delay in Baltimore, in the ninth inning, Dan Johnson, uh, who was never once a starter in his 10-year career in the majors, uh, is the pinch-hitting, I believe, catcher for the Rays in this moment. He uh, ties it with a solo shot before Longoria walks it off four innings later, um, and that is happening immediately. Like They tie and go to extra innings, and that is when the ball game resumes in Baltimore. And again, Chris Davis came up with two outs and two strikes. He hit that uh, he hit that double just as Dan Johnson hit his solo shot with two strikes in the ninth with two outs. Like both of those were the last strike of the game. Um, absolutely incredible. God, I love I, I love a good playoff race. Would love to be a part of one someday. I remember. Um, so not like you mentioned all that. I actually remember exactly where I was when all that was going down. I was. At the uh, the Temple University Tech Center, um, on a computer working on some paper, but the person next to me had both games up, so I was obviously uh, pretty distracted there. Um, oh yeah, this would have been like, ah, oh, this is first semester freshman year. This is early what? Temple. Yeah, you're probably doing something for Professor Pongan for for oh, what do we have? Boy, conversational review. Oh. Yeah, conversation. Dude, that was like. Previste de conversación. Fue el A más fácil que he ganado en mi vida. <laughs> that was so easy. My goodness. Uh, anyway, Nolan Reimold is my guy. Um, what a guy. Yeah, so this, there we go. Those are some phenomenal guys to remember. Uh, I guess we do have to, we do have to pick a, who, who's our ultimate guy this week. So I will admit, it has to be I, will admit I think it has to be Reimold. Here, here's what I'm going to say. The, the Haitian philanthropy angle, the Haitian philanthropy angle got me there at the end uh, with Malin Bear. In full circle. Yeah, that was, that was pretty tempting. Um, no, here, no one Reimold is, is uh, in the middle of so many wonderful things. Uh, I wonder, I, I, I hesitate to, to say my own guy because I know that part of that is just the context that he's in and not necessarily him but also you know we it's just like an rbi you got to do what the context presents you with something exactly um, I, I mean, mean to, I, me, to me it's a coin flip um so you know i i would defer to the to the neutral opinion here uh which would be xavier well i will i will i'm old i i think it's Reimold. uh and that's, i think james's passion for Reimold has won me over it's again. It's, I could the rhyme time sign. It was on like <laughs> cheap butcher paper that I found with all of the rest of the packing, like the the wrapping paper. I didn't think about it until like twenty minutes before I was getting on a bus to go to the game. Um, it was a bad sign, and so you know what? In my head, I'm going to just remember that sign, and that's going to be the the trophy that I accept. Um, I will graciously accept the nomination for Nolan Reimold being. Uh, being that guy this week, um, which means I guess I have to think of a good. What's a good topic for next week? I. That's why, admittedly, I was a little more comfortable with you winning because I was realizing <laughs> I was like I did not think about a category at all. <laughs> I did. I did think about one, um, and and you guys actually, I mean, kind of reinforce it. I wanted to talk about international competitors. I w- I want to talk about like a a, a guy that is really centered around like some some intrinsic uh, uh international competition so that's that is my challenge uh for for use ds and xavier or another uh guest if we have them next time but i someone that is 
you, I want your moment, your connection to them to be some beautiful international competition. So that is, that is my challenge for our next time. Um, I, bought, I think I've already, already know what I'm doing. I have a pretty good idea, um, but we'll see. We'll see next time. Um, Xavier, if you don't join us next time, thank you so much for, for being here. And remember, remembering some guys with us. Um, as, as long as you do, will have me. I'll keep showing up. Wonderful. Well, it's, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to bring more people on, but at the same time, I'm happy to keep uh, our good buddy X with here as well. Um, and so the next time we all get together, uh, we'll have some, some lovely international competitors. Diaz, anything else you want to add here before I, uh, I've got a final name for you. If you just want to appreciate one last one of those on the way out. Give me the name. Give me the name. Okay. The final name, uh, before we, we wrap up and send out here, uh, current member of the San Antonio Spurs organization, Quindary Weatherspoon. Uh, that is that is 2019 49th overall pick by the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, recently re-signed to a two-way contract, Quindary Weatherspoon. Um, and I think that's all for this week, guys. Thank you uh, for anyone that has tuned in other than the three of us to remember those guys. Um, if, if anyone's listening to this and wants to send his stuff in, we got an email, uh, rememberingguys at gmail.com. If you want to send in any other guys for us to listen to, we'd, we'd love uh, to hear what others have to say. Uh, until next time, uh, I've been James, and uh, this has been Remember That Guy. Diaz, any last sign-off? Don't forget, guys don't have to be male. I like that. I like that. We're gonna re- we're gonna tool together everything that we've said, and the next time it's gonna be significantly cleaner. Uh, and this time we're just gonna have an awkward cut to whatever music I've ended this with. As remember that, hey, gender's a social construct. Goodbye. This is just a game.